0: This is the Pariah Podcast. Written and read by me, Philip Carroll, the author. Episode number 24. Some conclusions. On Midsummer's morning, after a quick breakfast, Keo returned to the top of the draw and peered down it into the trees at the far end. What do you think, Leanie? Should we go down and take a look? Yes. Keo laughed. Finally committing yourself now, are you? The draw was steepest at the top, and Keo walked sideways, down for the first few yards, to keep from slipping. Lini didn't seem to have any problem with footing. The more they progressed, the ground leveled off in its slope, and Keo stepped out a little faster, until he neared the edge of the trees. Distance had played with his perception and the trees were farther away and taller than he originally had thought. Almost anything could be hiding in those trees. Are you ready? Kiyo whispered. No answer. Come along then. They followed a narrow game trail weaving between the trees. Keo chose his steps carefully, placing each, making as little noise as possible. Lini was silent. Though he knew exactly where she was, he listened for voices, the sounds of people trying to be as silent as he was, and for projected emotions. The grove of trees seemed as empty as he had hoped. Though he felt no emotional signals, as he would from his fellow trainees, something told him he was not alone in the grove. Searching the shadows of the dense woods, Keo shifted from side to side. As he moved, he saw a discord of color flash between trees. All the trees before him had dark grayish-brown trunks. Some were greener, but none were black. Something in a small clearing ahead was black, and it had just moved. A crow would be black, Keo told himself. Some cows were black. But Keo had never seen a cow around the training camp, and what he had seen was too big to be a crow. The small bit of black disappeared as something white passed in front of it. Keo figured there must be at least two people in the clearing. But what were they doing in the small grove below his cottage, and why was Leany not concerned? She sat placidly at his feet. Crouching in the undergrowth was only making his knee hurt and not getting him any closer to understanding how his destiny could be in these trees or what these people could have to do with it. On hands and knees he inched closer to hear if they spoke or if anything else about them would give him clues. "'Rotting bushes?' Keo cursed to himself. "'Why was it these people had chosen to camp "'in the most difficult foliage to peer through?' "'the leaves being broad and overlapping. "'He shifted to one side, looking for an opening in the leaves. "'Come sit with us. We have much to discuss,' a man said, quite loudly and clearly. "'Who could this man be addressing so suddenly? Keo hadn't heard anyone else approach. "'You! Young man crawling through the bushes. "'You needn't hurt your knee any more. Stand and walk comfortably.' And bring your creature with you. The man obviously spoke to Keo. His knee hurt, and he had a creature, though how this man knew these things, Keo had no idea. He got to his feet and pushed through the bush as confidently as he could. The man faced Keo, his hands on his hips. He wore an overcoat which reached down to his knees and covered his arms to the wrists made of a black, flat-woven material, which looked like linen, but was much thicker than any Keo had seen. A shorter cape piece covered his shoulders, upper back, and upper arms. Beneath the coat, the man wore a black shirt, shiny and luxurious like expensive silk, open at the neck. His pants were full and loose, and bloused into his calf-high, black leather boots. Wearing so much black, Keogh could only assume this man was an outlaw. But then he saw the woman. Tall and slender like Sergeant Nightsong, but even darker skin. She wore a loose white blouse, whiter than the best bleached linen he'd ever seen, with string ties closing it across her breast and short puffy sleeves from the shoulders halfway down to her elbows. The blouse was decorated with intricate embroidery, but done in white thread, it was impossible to see the design. Her plain circle skirt faded from ivory at the waist to beige and tan and dark brown along the bottom edge. Keo greeted the woman with a short bow from the waist and said to them both, Good morning. I am Creature Handler Trainee First Class Keo Noshani. May I ask who you are and what you are doing within the boundaries of the training camp? The man nodded to the woman, who smiled back with an I-told-you-so smile. "'Yes, well, who we are and what we are doing,' the man said, folding his arms across his chest. "'Who we are, you won't know. Even if I was to give you my name and the names of every relative I know of, you wouldn't recognize me. And my companion here as well. Her name would do you little good. But what we are.' and what we are here for, you might find more relevant. Okay, now I have to guess that you are some kind of wandering entertainers, and you amuse yourselves and those you meet by speaking in riddles and making people like me look like fools, Kiyo said in frustration. Please pardon my companion's manner of speech, Master Kiyo. In the years I have known him, it is something I have been unable to break him of. And while I find it, as you say, entertaining, I realize that those who don't know him might find it tedious. "'I'm not a master, ma'am. I'm a trainee first class,' Keo said. "'Ah, very good, because we are teachers, and we are here to teach you,' the man said, "'but we are not here to teach you.' The woman scowled at the man and said, "'Please try not to be confusing.' "'Okay.' We are here to teach you, but we are not to teach you here. He raised his eyebrows at his companion. Very good, Gerald, she said with a nod of her head. Very clear indeed. She turned back to Keo and said, Don't be alarmed. We mean you no harm, but we have come to take you away. You've learned as much as you can on your own, and there is no one here who can teach you as we will. Keo looked around himself nervously. Unsure whether someone might suddenly appear from behind the bushes to carry him away, he jumped when the brush beyond the two rustled frantically. Amazement replaced Keo's shock when he saw two creatures crawl from under the bushes, beyond the two humans. Two creatures incredibly similar to his own, only they were twice the size of Lini, and their bodies were covered with short, furry pile like thick velvet. "'You're here to take me away?' Keo asked. "'Is that what happened to the man who had the pig-frog a hundred years ago? "'They say he disappeared without a trace.' "'You know of Lyndon?' Gerald asked. "'He'll be so happy to know people still remember him.' "'He'll be glad. He would have to be over a hundred years old, and you know him?' "'I'm sorry, Keo. Neither I nor my companion, Gerald, are from your land.' "'And we speak in a different manner than you, I see. "'We do not mean to be alarming or confusing, "'though we have much to share with you. "'And we need to be on our way soon.' "'Soon? "'Do you expect me to leave with you, today?' Keo found it hard to breathe. "'His heart pounded with excitement, "'though his brain shouted at him to be wary. "'I can't leave. "'I'm in the king's service, "'and I will be for the rest of my life. "'I can't just leave.' They could put me in prison or chop off my head or something for running away. Keo, he saw his own mother in the woman's comforting smile, the smile that said not to worry, you're overreacting. Don't look at it as running away from your duty. Your real duty awaits you where we are going. Look at it, instead, as running toward your destiny. My destiny? Keo dug the toe of his boot into the soft loam of the clearing. Lini nudged against his ankle. He turned toward her. Is this my destiny? Is this where I'm supposed to go? Yes. Yes? He asked the man and the woman before him. They both nodded encouragingly. He didn't know these two, but he trusted Lini implicitly. When do we need to go? As soon as possible. "'Gerald said. "'In the morning, tomorrow would be just fine,' the woman said. "'Gerald snapped his head up. "'Kite, are you sure tomorrow is just fine? "'There are always complications lurking around days and nights "'when such safety is just away.' "'The test was last night, dear Gerald. "'Another day may pass without complication. "'I know, dear Kite, but I wish to leave at night.' It is so much easier to travel at leisure when we start in the dark. Very well then, Master Keo, come to us as soon after dark as you are able. We will wait for you here. Just as soon as we're able, Keo said, and hurried back to his cottage to prepare for a new journey. Nick prepared the sand tray. Midsummer's day and the second day of the full moon, tonight, would be the shortest night, and once the moon rose, he would have until dawn to kill Keo. If he failed, he would have to wait and wait and wait until another Midsummer's day aligned with a full moon. Who could know when that would be? He would use his last sacred drops of water to cast a rune of indifference. The reclusive Keo, if he chose to attend the day's activities at all, would surely return to his cottage early. Under the rune's distraction, Nick could follow him, slip in and slit his throat with a butcher's knife he had stolen from the mess hall. Not a foolproof plan, but the best he could come up with. The sun was on the horizon when Keo approached the festivities. The feast was in full swing with rows of tables piled high with edible favorites from around the country in the open area before the combined dining facility. Creature handlers of all ranks, identifiable by the colors of their tunics, mixed and shared company at the tables. Creatures of all types and ages wandered among the diners while others wheeled in the air above. "'I'm sorry, Lini, You have to wait over here. Maybe look for mice or voles in the brush.' To tell you the truth, I'm not much more welcome among all these party-goers than you are. She crept off the road and below some bushes with a sense of understanding and sympathy for her empathic companion. What a mistake, Keo thought, navigating his way through the mass of people. He and Bree should have arranged some place to meet. With so many people milling about, he could spend the whole evening just looking for her. He reached out empathically for a sense of her, but the clarity he had enjoyed at the swamp wasn't there to aid him any longer. The crowd was a well mixed stew of emotions. The overall flavor was relaxation and camaraderie. He felt an awareness at his back, initially assuming it was Leany, but it was broader and milder than her clear and constant presence, and more distant. It was like the sun shining on your shoulders on a cool spring day, a faint reminder of its powerful burn of the previous summer and premonition of the summer to come. It radiated from the cluster of trees in the hollow below his cottage. Can no one else feel that distant, though powerful emanation? Are they too engrossed in their midsummer's revel? Keo wandered between the tables, Looking for the light grey tunics of third year trainees like his, and for the orange and black wing color tags of the Tiger Hawk section. Keo was proud of the oily black circular collar tags given to him by the uniformer. His companion was unique to all the other creatures in the camp. It was only right that his collar tags, though they identified him as a creature handler in training, like so many others, were as unique as his creature. Keo went through the food line and took juicy slices of roast beef, pork ribs baked dark brown with a sugary glaze, and sliced fried potatoes, along with a good helping of summer vegetables. He searched for a table with some open space. He'd gotten used to his solitude and felt hemmed in if others sat too close. Walking between the rows of tables, passing countless unfamiliar faces, a flash of orange and black caught his eye as a young tiger-hawk leapt into the air to join the whirlwind of creatures circling the gathering. Keo worked his way around between tables toward the place where the creature had been and began to see tiger-hawk collar pins. However, there was no orange hair to be seen at any of the tables. Naturally, sections weren't expected to remain together for the length of the feast and all the creature handlers were encouraged to mingle and make new associations. But humans being what they are, the newer handlers were more likely to remain together. Keo ate in silence, occasionally searching the gathering for any sign of Bree. At one point, Keo looked up to see a handful of trainee first-class boys looking at him, and one even pointed his way while talking to another. When he saw Keo watching him, he turned immediately to his food and didn't look up again. He didn't see Storgent among them and wondered if they stared because they'd heard of the attack the night before. Maybe he was just being paranoid. "'I've been looking for you everywhere,' Bree said from behind him and then sat next to him. She put her hand on his and shook it companionably. He swallowed the meat he was chewing and said, I spent the better part of an hour looking for you, too. I thought waiting here might be the better plan. I guess I was right. I walked all the way to your cottage, thinking I'd find you on the road, she said, and Keo noticed sweat beaded on her nose. You want some of my drink? You look hot. Keo held out the apple berry punch. She took it, drained it, and said, thanks. His heart ached. He was going to miss Bree most by leaving, and it was soon, too, only hours away. "'What's wrong, Keo? You seem pensive or sad. Are you worried about the boys who attacked last night? I think word got around that Storgent tried something and that you had the opportunity to kill him and didn't.' "'Hmm,' Keo grunted. "'I should have killed him. I really wanted to. Who knows who he'll pick on next?' You're not worried he'll come after you again? If he's not here tonight, he may not get another chance. What's that supposed to mean, Keo? Bree asked. You're not quitting after all you've been through, are you? No, Bree, I'm not quitting, he said, pushing his plate away and turned to her. But he closed his eyes. He couldn't think about what he had to do with her staring at him, worry in her eyes, and what, rejection in her mind? But, she asked, but I don't know what I'm getting out of being here. I'm left alone, isolated far from camp in a tiny cottage. No one will tell me, or can tell me, anything about my creature, how it's supposed to fight, or what it's supposed to do. I see all of you, all the sections, practicing together, advancing in what their creatures are good at, but me? I sit and talk to my creature, and for the most part... I feel like I'm talking to myself. Where would you go to learn more, if not here? Bree asked, ever the pragmatist. I think they should have sent me to the capital a long time ago to learn in the libraries there. They have much older books than we have in the camp library by thousands of years. Maybe there's something in one of those old books that could tell me what I should do, like that prophecy Sergeant Nine song had told me about. Come to think of it, that didn't come true either. Bree frowned at him. You never told me of of a prophecy? When did you hear about that? Oh, yeah, it was when I got back in the Corps. I told the sergeant I was confused about my destiny and that I was a ninth and not a sixth. She remembered something she read. I went into her memories and brought it back. It goes, When the third flies high and the sixth the more, the highest will the ninth be born. For great shall thirds and sixths be known, but all will of the ninth be grown. And at her height among the stars, and counting them with all of ours, the world rebuilds when grown apart, and binds without the smithy's art. In solitude and obscurity, she primes the roots of humanity. You see, I thought it was saying that I would be a tiger hawk handler. Because my sister flew one, and then my brother, and then, last, I would fly the highest. But from my vision in the swamp, I wasn't going to have a tiger hawk, because she came to me as a woman, and my creature is female. So, I was right that I was wrong. Prophecies are hard to understand, and usually only become clear after all is said and done, Bree said. You think this really is a prophecy, and not just some nonsense poem? What do you think? You're the one who seems to have the second sight and tell what everyone feels. Okay, well, in that case, yes. I can see you believe in prophecies and that this one might be as real as any. I came from a farm where things grew out of the ground if you watered them and tilled the ground and spread manure on them, not because we prayed to the gods over them. Sure, we attended the festivals and paid the offerings expected of us, but if we didn't go right back and weed the orchards and feed the cattle and tend the sheep, we wouldn't have apples or milk or wool. I know some people believe that gods control the weather, and maybe that's why we paid our offerings, but I've seen a hailstorm blow through and knock down half a field of wheat like a giant has swung a scythe across it. Then I've seen a hailstorm tear everything apart on one side of a fence and not touch the other. The winds blow... The rains fall and the sun shines without the gods interfering. Every day on the ocean, we were in peril for our lives. One wrong step, one unexpected wave, or staying out one hour too long, and we would all have been lost. That was why we prayed, so that we would know which way to step, which way to sail, and when to turn back. That's what I see in the prophecy for you. "'that you will know when you are ready to take the next step, "'or maybe when you've taken you're lost in a certain direction. "'Then it sounds to me like you agree with me "'that it's time for me to go another way.' "'She took his hand and tears were suddenly in her eyes. "'A smile twitched at her lips "'as a frown fought to push through. "'If you need to go, you should go. "'Night had settled.' and the musicians were tuning their instruments. ''Would you like to dance?'' Keo asked. Bree gulped and nodded her head. The dance area was crowded, and many couples kicked up dust as they spun and spiraled around the circle. The last time Keo had danced was at the egg camp before the attack. It didn't take long, and his knee began to ache. He asked Bree if they could step to the side. I'm sorry about my knee. I've gotten to where I can walk the whole day without it paining me, but I think the turning is what's done me in, Keo said, kneading the joint with his fingers. That's all right. I really just wanted to be in your alms for a time, Bree said. Keo put his arm around her and hugged her to his side. Bree put her head on his shoulder. They watched other couples laugh and dance on one of the few nights in their year, when they had a chance to relax and act like young people. The night drew on, the stars shifted overhead, and the full moon climbed toward its apex. The musicians had promised they would play through the night if people remained to dance. With only a few breaks, for the players to rest a moment, the dancers were still going strong as midnight approached. Pri, walk with me for a moment. There's something I need to tell you. Keo said, and took her hand, pulling her away from the circling dancers, toward the road where his creature waited. As if it had been hovering above them, waiting for the opportune moment, Breeze Tigerhawk suddenly dropped from the sky to follow closely behind her. She didn't speak or ask him where they went. He could tell she barely held herself together. When they were far enough from the festivities that they could talk quietly and still hear one another, Keo said, I'm leaving tonight. Bree threw her arms around him and hugged his neck. A lump appeared in his own throat as his eyes blurred. They held each other until Keo found control of his breathing and his tongue. I love you, Bree. I've said that before, and I mean it even more tonight. But we both know, when we joined the Creature Handler Corps, we were giving ourselves to a companion who would take priority. Bree smiled, nodding through her tears. Keo registered her pride and affection for her creature and understood such attachment. I don't want you to lie for me, so I hope no one pressures you with questions about me. But I want you to know what has happened to me. I don't want to disappear like Lyndon did and everyone believe he just died somewhere in the woods. At least you'll know. Lyndon? Bree asked the pariah a hundred years back who disappeared his name was linden some people came to me last night a man and a woman there are also pariahs and their creatures with them they said those of us with pig frogs we have a special mission which is different than all the other creature handlers and that i need to go with them and they will continue my training two strangers appear out of nowhere "'at your door and say you have to go with them "'and you believe them?' Bree asked. Keo sensed incredulity. "'No, the woman from the swamp appeared to me last night "'during the fight, just before you arrived. "'She told me that my destiny waited for me "'down in the hollow below the cottage, "'that if I killed Storgent, I would lose my destiny. "'And then you were there. "'I went down the hollow this morning.' and found the two of them. Brie, they have the same creatures as I do, and they don't smell. They have soft fur. They told me, the two people, that my creature needs to mature and she can't do it here. I need to go with them for my creature to mature and to fulfill my destiny. I've missed you so much these last few months, Brie said. I can't begin to think how much it will hurt to have you gone forever. I wish... Bree shook her head and buried her face against Keo's chest. The tiger hawk leaned its shoulders hard against Bree's backside, pushing her off balance. She clutched Keo to hold herself upright. Lini crouched at the edge of the road, all waiting for the right moment for their lives to change forever. Keo and Lini walked back to the cottage in silence. He could still sense Bree standing by the road, watching him leave. How could he leave her? They could have had so much together. Forget Storgent. He would deal with him again if he had to. Nick hid in the trees alongside the road and watched Keo and Bree say their goodbyes. He felt Thea's distant confusion at why he was moving farther away rather than returning to her at the barrack stable where he had told her to remain. Keo moved slowly down the road to his cottage making it easy for Nick to hurry ahead and get himself into position inside the cottage. To his disappointment, a light burned inside. He would have to wait for Keo to go in and settle himself for the night. It was only just past midnight. There would be plenty of time to slip in and kill the boy. Nick hurried around the corner of the cottage to hide when he heard Keo's limping approach on the gravel road. Light glowed inside the cottage as Keo and Lini drew inside of it. He hadn't left a lantern burning when they'd gone out. Was Storgant back already? He reached out with his mind, searching the cottage for who might have lit the lantern and who might still be in there. He couldn't tell. Someone was there who exuded a sense of urgency and frustration. Rot it, Keo whispered. His sword was inside with his packed bundle. It would do him no good there. He inched up to the door, leaning and sensing with each step. Whoever was in there was pacing, anxious. Hoping to use the element of surprise in his favor, Keo pushed through the door and dropped into a crouch, though his knee screamed in agony, ready to attack whatever dangers waited within. Where have you been, boy? Gerald growled. "'We need to go, now. Belt your sword and grab your bundle. "'We should have been on the road hours ago.' "'Keo looked at the man sideways, confused at his sudden urgency. "'He didn't seem in that much of a hurry when they'd met earlier that day. "'I I said now!' Gerald hissed between gritted teeth "'and grabbed Keo by the shirt sleeve, pulling him toward his pack. "'You need to relax,' Keo said, resisting. "'Like you were this morning.' I can't imagine what changed in the last few hours, but I don't have to go with you. With you acting like a crazed maniac, I don't really want to. I don't have the time for this, Gerald said, throwing his hands into the air and walking in circles. Kite! He shouted. The woman glided into the room from the open door. Her face was as placid as when Keo had last seen her that morning. What is it, Dear... "'Your friend here is refusing to leave. "'He says he doesn't want to travel with crazy people.' "'That's not,' Keo started. "'The woman held up her hand, stopping him. "'You'll have to forgive my companion. "'We've just received some bad news, "'and our mission suddenly became much more urgent. "'We must take a side trip before heading to our home. "'And here we are, standing around talking about it, "'when we could actually be moving.' "'Gerald said, veins poking out at his temples. "'Here's your bundle, Keo,' Kite said, "'helping him strap it across his back and handing him his sword. "'We need to get as much distance during the night as we can, "'to be beyond the sight of impressionable ice.' "'She led him to the door, "'and he found himself following her of his own volition. "'Finally,' Gerald gasped. "'Now we need to step it out. "'We have a ways to go.' Keo followed Gerald and Kite around the cottage and down the slope into the hollow. As they reached the trees at the bottom, a sudden sense of loss and despair washed over Keo. The other two stopped as Keo did and looked back up the draw to the cottage. Gerald blinked and turned to his companion. Did you feel that? Kite nodded. It came from the cottage. Let's hurry before whatever generated the emotion comes after us. As they passed the place where Keo had found the two strangers, their pig-frogs joined from the underbrush. Seely fell in behind them. Just beyond the trees, the hollow opened up into a plain. The summer-dried grass appeared white in the moonlight. A dirt track took them north, but quickly veered to the east and merged with the northern highway. "'Can you tell me where we're going?' Keo asked. Gerald didn't answer. He only glanced at the woman at his side. Kite smiled at her companion, but spoke to Keo. It's difficult to talk while walking at the speed we must travel. We have many days ahead of us before we get where we are going. And where we are going has just been detoured. We may talk when we make camp in the morning. I still don't understand why we're suddenly in such a rush. If we have far to go, and walking to get there leaving an hour or two later shouldn't make a difference maybe we should try to get horses can your creature ride a horse gerald asked then maybe a wagon where we must go a wagon cannot travel kite said we are going northeast into the mountains once there we must find a how should i say this a channel we will take this channel through the mountains to another land a channel I thought a channel had something to do with where water flows in a lake or river. Is there a river that will take us over the impenetrable mountains? There are other elements which flow and are channeled. We will use one of these other channeled elements to get us to another land. Is this land where we're going, or is it the detour? Kite smiled. Very good, my boy. This country we seek first is the detour. The detour. After we accomplish our task there, we will go to our valley where you may study and prepare and encourage your creature to mature, Kite said. I have to encourage her to mature? Isn't maturity something that just happens as time passes? Our creatures are different than any others. Very specific events must occur for these to mature. But this is not something you need to worry about right now only that we get through to our detour in sufficient time. "'What is so important in this other land that we are now in such a hurry to walk all this extra distance?' Keo asked, frustrated at all the secretive talk. "'Your betrothed is in great danger,' Gerald said. "'If we do not get to her in sufficient time, you may have to wait decades, even centuries, for your creature to mature and to carry out your destiny.' The end of part one. Thanks for listening to the Pariah podcast. It's been a lot of fun writing this story and even more fun recording it. I've worked hard on editing it and I have much farther to go before it's ready to send to my uh, editor for her edits. But that will happen. This is July of 2019 and I hope to have the completed manuscript to her by December so that I could possibly publish it early 2020. Anyway, there's about 130,000 words to it at this point. So it's a long story, long for me. And it's uh, going to be getting even longer because there are two more sections to this story. And each will probably be about an equal length, maybe another 130,000 words. And I hope to podcast them as they're written. So I hope you've enjoyed this ride with me. And I hope you are satisfied with uh, what's happened in Keo's life. There's much more to learn about what he will do and what the various characters he's interacted with, how they will grow in the next few years of their lives and what will happen to Dick. Anyway, Thanks again for listening. If you want to join my mailing list, check it out at norvaljoe.com. That's N-O-R-V-A-L-J-O-E dot com. And it should, you should be directed to sign up for the mailing list. Otherwise, you can contact me at norvaljoe at gmail.com. Thanks for your support. And we'll see you again next time.